Boom. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Great Health. It does not have to be a mission impossible. And um, I hope you got to listen to our whole body thermography uh, screening. If not, uh, take a look at it because it's something we brought to the office because chronic illness develops over time. And whole body thermography can identify underlying causes before they begin or to find out if your treatment is actually working. So it's non-invasive. It doesn't take that long. Uh, it doesn't cost that much as far as what you're getting for the process and you get to have and contributing factors such as endocrine and your immune system taken taking a look at so early detection is, is always a big deal and you always want to see if something's happening so uh, just the basis of thermography is when you get a body temperature um, and then you, let's say you know, we're taking it with your shirt on and then we take your shirt off there should be colder uh, skin because there's no longer something holding the heat in but if the temperature stays the same, that means there's inflammation or something going on there. So it's an adjunct device, whole body thermography, for not just breast, but breast is very important. Breast health, men's prostate, thyroid issues, musculoskeletal disorders, pain, inflammation, blood supply. So if you have blood pressure issues or you had a, a family history of, of cardiovascular events, stroke, blood pressure, uh, diabetes, inflammatory conditions, all the autoimmune issues, um, these are things that can happen. And so if it I highly encourage you to do that. Now, why bringing this up and getting into my next topic, um, we've talked about gluten sensitivity. Uh, and, and people realize, okay, I've got this gluten thing and I should stay away from gluten and I'll do it the best I can. Okay, um, that's a good start. But let's get into the details of what gluten does to your brain. Now, we just had a whole six-part series about cardiovascular health, followed by an eight-part series about brain health. And what we have to talk about is brain health even though I'm not going to put it with the saving your brain, even though I've talked about nutrients that go along with it, is what gluten does to your brain. And for instance, so when you have um, gluten, and I'll get into the details, it's not just don't stay away from gluten, but understand that if you're over 30, this is impacting you in a completely different way. Then, and of course, anybody under 30, they've, they've never been exposed to anything but over it. But the gluten for anybody who is over 30 is not the same that we grew up with. It's not that it's gen genetically modified or anything, but they have what's called hybridization, which changes how the body breaks it down. So as we eat this stuff, it gets into your gut. Now, I also have a, a bunch of podcasts that are out there, endotoxemia, what it does, um, gluten in the brain, uh, more than de uh, different details of what's going on, how it gets into food sensitivities versus food um, allergies, and, and the different part that goes to it in autoimmunity. So these are all podcasts that'll, that'll be adjunct to this, but this is what I'm talking about today, gut health and, I'm sorry, how the gluten is affecting the brain. That's the premise of this. And, and why I brought up the whole body thermography, because if it affects all these different organs, and I'm, I'm gonna go into detail of, of how it does that, then we could find that in a whole body thermography. Take you off of it, make sure that you're really good and, and precise, and then come back and rerun a whole body thermography and see all the things that are happening, because the temperature will change typically before the blood work changes. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. So we can get on track. So sometimes you don't get a, a blood test like an A1C. It won't change for six months. But if I can do tests in the middle, uh, adjunct therapy, or sometimes urinalysis and other things that come along, and we see that there's a change there, high five. We're on track. We're doing the right thing. But if it doesn't, we can interact or change or, or, or change the approach that we're doing immediately. So there's an intimate relationship between gluten and your brain. Now, when you eat gluten, it goes into your nervous system, your gut, called the enteric nervous system. The enteric nervous system talks to your central nervous system by way of the brain. And there are barriers that change. You have a, a brain barrier and a gut barrier. And when one breaks down, the other breaks down too. So these communications go back and forth between your gut 
and your brain. And they communicate by way of what's called cytokines. And most people have realized about a, a, what's called a cytokine storm. Mostly that's an inflammatory cytokine because there's non-inflammatory cytokines too. But a cytokine storm in the event of COVID-19 would kill somebody. There's nothing to get in front of it. So cytokines are just messenger uh, molecules that talk. And then the enteric nervous system has its own um, that uh, talks. And then in the brain, you have what's called astroglial cells. And that's what talks to the brain. So they talk to each other. Now, there's a bunch of peer-reviewed research that comes out that um, you get these white matter lesions that happen in the brain when you have MS. You get these white white matter lesions in the brain when you have irritable bowel and inflammatory bowel, see that's Crohn's ulcerative colitis, go to the brain. It looks the same, but is it the same? Not necessarily. But when it comes to the brain, gluten and why I'm bringing this up, because while I talk to my patients and my family, especially my children, they don't get it. Uh, okay, I should stay away from gluten and I'm all going to be better. Uh, I'll do it most of the time. I feel mostly better, but it's not there. But that's not what I'm going for. I'm going for, we're trying to stop you from having Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, and neurological conditions that nobody can figure the freak out uh, of what's going on with it. And so uh, when we get to this, uh, what is gluten sensitivity? I'm going to go into the difference between gluten sensitivity and somebody has celiac. Now, celiac is somebody that has a a, uh, genetic condition that their body just doesn't break down gluten, and and they're going to get all the things too, but this is pretty well known because you have a test that shows you have celiac, and you have a biopsy in your intestine that says you've got celiac pretty easy. But what about everybody else who's gluten sensitive? And research-wise, it's worse. It's way worse. So the complication of gluten sensitivity, people can get migraines. A lot of people have migraines come out of my mouth. That's gluten sensitivity. What about brain fog, cognitive impairment, gluten, psychiatric disorders, anxiety, depression, mental disorders, gluten. How about multi-system atrophy? The the body starts to break down. It could look like ALS. Gluten can do that. Movement disorders, your balance comes off. Restless leg syndrome, neurological autoimmunity, MS would fall into that apraxia, ataxia, which is how you talk, how you think, how you work, hearing loss, neuromuscular disease, cerebellar disease, so balance comes in. You know, you have um, high, uh, what's called myoclonus, the, the, what's called the reflexes, they overreact. You can have dementia that comes to this. We, um, neuropathies. This is just from gluten sensitivity. Huge, huge, huge deal. So in my opinion, I think it's worse. Um, and then when people have a gluten sensitivity, dairy is a very close second and they're friends that cross react is what a cross reactant is. If I take a pen cap off of one pen and put it on the other pen, it's the same brand, the same company, they, they, they will snap together. Well, that's what gluten and dairy do in the immune system. So once you have one, you probably have the other and about 85% of the time you have the other. And if you don't have it to begin with, it's probably going to happen unless you're very, 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 very diligent. And still that said, um, dairy is, is an immunological inflammation response. It lowers your immune system. It clogs stuff up. It is response for most of uh, kids that have strep throat, tonsillitis, um, upper respiratory infections. Because back in the day, I'm over 30, in my kindergarten, we took flour and milk and mixed it together. And we call that glue. Well, if you're eating and drinking this, which is a standard American child diet, or what's in any of the processed foods, they eat them, it gets in the back of their throat. And how many petri dishes do we have in any school? All of them. Um, Kids are filthy. I've got a few. We we know they're filthy. <laughs> so, um, and, and now there's grandkids, and they're just as filthy. So it's not an it's not innate to not be filthy. I guess it's more it's innate to just be filthy. Pig pens, um, 
most of the kids, but that that's how their immune system gets to build up. So we don't want to put them into a bubble. We don't want to, to, to watch everything and never let them have exposure to anything. Otherwise, they won't have an immune system and they're very sick individuals. But let's be honest, they're filthy. Um, so again, gluten is the most reactive milk with the, so, the close second. And and there are, there are people who have, um, they go and they get tested. Uh, you know, I have all these symptoms and what's going on. And I get tested for the protein of wheat, which is called gluten. And they don't have a reaction. Now, gluten can be tested in several different ways. It could be what's called gluten, the gluten protein, glutenin. You could have gliadin, alpha, beta, gamma, omega, gliadins, uh, transglutaminase, which is typically in your celiac. And then you get what's called the aminated gliadins, 15, 17, 19. Now, some people, they have zero response. And we look at them and we're like, okay, good for you. But they could be binding to, they could be reacting to something that's not being tested. So there's such a thing in wheat that's called lectins or wheat germ gluten. So they're not, <clears throat> not necessarily reacting to the wheat, they're, they're reacting to other non-proteinaceous uh, areas that are in there, or they have they don't have the same protein that we're looking for in gluten or gliadin or, or, uh, or transglutaminase or how it gets broken down. So there are other ways. So just because you're gluten negative and a gluten sensitivity test doesn't necessarily mean that you're not reacting to gluten. That sh- throws a whole bunch of, of, of wrinkles in the, the system. So you can still have, here's the problem, you may not have an antibody to gluten, and you still have neurological issues because you're reacting to lectin. So there's a Dr. Stephen Gundry who did a lot of research on lectins, and uh, it's pretty sound that's out there. But what he didn't explain is how somebody can have a reaction to lectin that I know of um, and still be not gluten sensitive. So this is why we don't want to eat this stuff. You might have this other response here, but it, it all it all depends on what the test is and how, how quality the testing is. If you're not testing everything on there, and by there's like 121 different ways to test gluten, and most of the time we test one and up to 17 if you're doing a, a different test that we, we have a specialty test, it's not 121. So it's 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 flawed, it's it's information, but it's flawed in, in its nature. So we want to stay away from something that has so many different reactivities to that. So in in the, the research that comes out there, there's no pro no dietary protein that's worse in your body than gluten because it's neurological. It can create autoimmunity. It can create neurodegeneration and what's called neuroinflammation of the brain. So what is neuroinflammation? You can get headaches. You can get brain fog. You can have uh, a breakdown of how your memory, your concentration, your functionality. This came in the journal of neurology. So they did research on it, not, not a chiropractor saying, hey, you should not stay, stay away from gluten. So gluten sensitivity, technically, technically by nature, uh, and this came out in the... Um, uh, Journal of Gastroenterology, gluten sensitivity is a neurological disease. Think about that. So uh, maybe that's a gastroenterologist passing off to the neurologist saying it's your problem now. <laughs> but uh, that's 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 what they found. So gluten sensitivity is a neurological disease. So when you have it, you have a neurological disease. Understand that. And we got to get that dealt with as fast as we can. So when people have gluten sensitivity, only one third of the patients actually have like, when I eat gluten, I have gas and I bloat and I have uh, regurgitation and acid reflux and maybe I have diarrhea. Okay, those are gastrointestinal symptoms. Only one third. The other two thirds have completely different things. So that's that's a big, holy cow, what's going on here. And then when, when people find out that they actually have um, uh, gluten, they try to stay away from the, the big obvious things, but gluten gets hidden in so many different things. And I have a whole podcast about that, but like soy sauce, food starches, food stabilizers, food emulsifiers, artificial food coloring, malt extract, flavor, syrup, dextrins. Uh, there is so many things that have hidden sources of gluten because it's also a flavor enhancer. And it's a excitatory protein, helps the brain make you say, hmm, that's good. Let's do that again. 
So we have to get real serious in understanding that this is a neurological disease. If you're going to have a neurological disease, you're going to have neurodegeneration. This is how people who have Hashimoto's with gluten sensitivity, over time, not only do they have brain fog, but they have the ability and the potential to have accelerated neurodegeneration diseases such as dementia, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's. I'm just letting that set in for a minute. Uh, so we want to make sure you don't have gluten contamination. We want to do the best we can. There are so many other things that gluten sensitivity can cause um, uh, that goes along. So it doesn't matter if you're celiac or gluten sensitive. There, there's quite a bit of outcomes. Now, in the world of that, there's such a thing called exposure to gluten. Do you have reactivity with or without? So with what's called enteropathy, you have celiac. And you're going to have celiac. You could have celiac disease if you carry the gene. So a lot of people have the gene and, and there is they carry it and there's other people who don't have the gene um, and they, it's called without enteropathy but they still have tissue inflammation they still have reactions they still have neurochemical imbalances and then those tissues can go to so many other things it can go to your brain your nervous system your your uh, your liver your pancreas your thyroid your heart uh, your stomach uh, these are these are big deals uh, gluten sensitivity uh, you don't see that so much in the celiac side of it but you see that in the sensitivity side of it so this is where we, we want to be better about how we educate our patients. We want to be better with how they go home and exercise the instructions that we have provided for them. Okay, so again, gluten today is not the same as the child. Uh, it's it's modified wheat versus native. Again, there's not really GMO wheat, but it's hybridization, so it's, it's different. It has a different reactivity that goes along with wheat. Um, and so the Journal of Brain 2013, this is 2013, they did, they took 70 patients, uh, average age between 14, 78, 48 is the mean, and here's what they found. Only 13% of, pe of the people at that point um, with gluten sensitivity had gastrointestinal symptoms that we talked about, 13%. The, the reality is in the research a little bit that's come along, it's about a, less than one third. How many people had sensory deficits? Like you couldn't feel cold and hot, cold hands and feet, um, you know, where you were in space or hearing or anything like that. Those are sensory. 45% of them had a deficit. For when it comes to walking, and we're talking from 14, 14 to 78, 100% of them had gait dysfunctions. So there's a test that we run in the office. It's called a Romber's test. You put one foot in front of the other, heel to toe, and you stand there, and we want to see if you can balance. And then we have you close your eyes, and then we switch your feet. You should be able to do that. Um, and then we have you take steps heel to toe and you should be able to do that and we should be able to take heel to toe steps for at least three steps without uh, falling down most of the people in our office can't do that that's usually why they're there when we see somebody do that we high five because we understand what they've been able to get away with so that's called um gluten ataxia there is actually a neurological condition ataxia means you can't walk so some people have ataxic issues because they have a head trauma or you maybe had a stroke or you've ever heard of tia which is like a mini stroke um, there are people who are born with cerebral um, palsy, um, people who have multiple sclerosis and peripheral neuropathies or brain tumors, um, or what's called a, a Chiari malformation, Arnold Chiari malformation, and then this hereditary ataxy, but they, they had this when they were born. They knew about it. It's there. And then there's peripheral neuropathy, like from diabetes. And then... When somebody comes to the office, we don't know what the cause of it is, or if they've been to another office and actually been run, whether it's a neurologist or not, and it's called sporadic and unknown cause, the number one cause to that is gluten. So gluten is one of the biggest causes of, of what's called gluten ataxia. Well, yeah, but it can mimic multiple sclerosis, and it's not multiple sclerosis. It can mimic peripheral neuropathy, and it's not. And so then we have to run blood tests that come and check out 
And if it's not gluten, sometimes you have to run what's called a Cyrex uh, Array 3 to look at other different pieces of that puzzle and see if you actually have it. Uh, so it does have an enormous impact on the brain. And over time, it can look like and mimic what looks like in a brain scan, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, MS. Um, and so th these came from the, the Journal of Natural Clinical Practice. And when they removed gluten from these individuals, their brain got better. The lesions were gone. You'll see this in the potential for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, and when these things come in here. So when you eat gluten, your brain will degenerate, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's what comes along. Degeneration. And we're trying to prevent degeneration. Now, the impacts of the brain with gluten sensitivity. So for, for instance, how do you degenerate? Well, you have to have neuroinflammation to degener degenerate. So neuroinflammation is brain inflammation. You get a breakdown of the blood-brain barrier, which is not good. And then you get neurological autoimmunity. That's Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Uh, Lou Berry, uh, Louis body uh, dementia. There's, there's other things that go in there. Those, those are the big ones we most really know of. And when you have a blood-brain barrier breakdown, you've had a loss of zonulin. When you have a loss of blood-brain barrier, you've probably lost your intestinal permeability, which caused it, or the blood-brain barrier caused intestinal permeability because they're friends. They have the same cells. Same with your lungs and your sinuses. And when that happens, then you start getting a loss of chemical intolerance. So when you put on lotions, perfumes, you go in a place and you smell something, you start to itch or feel absolutely awful or have a neurological condition such as a headache or a migraine or dizziness or anything that goes along with it, this is a big deal. That means that you're, you've lost your barrier and, and you're, you're, you're beyond. So on the scale of 1 to 10, you're like a 9.9. .9. So if you're hearing that and you're there or you know somebody who's there, uh, don't let them keep doing what they're doing because their brain's dying. Let's get in front of it. Um, either send them to our office or send them to somebody else who also knows what the heck they're doing um, because they're they're in a big deal and it, it can't wait. And if you love them or you have loved ones who love them, uh, the cost of doing business for their health care, in other words, in the next three to five years is going to be astronomical and they're going to be in big trouble and it's going to be a financial drain to their, their body and their, their, their pocketbook. So if we get intestinal permeability, also we get the lack of malabsorption. They stop to be able to digest or break down the food that they're eating, even if it's you know not quality, but it's still food that goes there. So then they don't heal. And so they reduce the ability for their thing called methyl donor, which is how the body heals. And when you have lack of methyl donors, your brain goes faster in degeneration. So you have multiple ways it can go inflammation to the brain or inflammation to the gut that then doesn't allow the building blocks to be there to support brain function. You can also get other things. We, we've, we've had an opioid response in the body. Now, your body makes its own opioids. I want you to know I'm not, I'm not uh, subjugating or saying that we should take opiates uh, because the research on that is you take one opiate, the life expectancy for you is less than five years. So please stay away from them at, at all costs. So there's what's called a gluteomorphin response. You can also have a caseomorphin, which is dairy. So gluteomorphin is gluten, and it acts as an opioid. So when people are on it, they feel great feel great, feel great. And it can go into the brain and alters your mobility, motility, and your neurochemistry. So it takes about 10 days when somebody really has an opioid response to really get off of this stuff. And if they get it again, they're, they're fired back up again. So when, when we have, there's a, a test called SIRX-14 spit test that so we actually get to see the gluteomorphin and caseomorphin responses. And we're like, holy cow, when we have it, we have to have, sit down. This is going to be a really rough two weeks. It's going to be a really rough two weeks. And we have to stay in front of it. Gluten sensitivity can also go into your brain for a decreased cerebral perfusion. Not, now you're not getting blood in your brain. So this is how vascular dementia can happen. Um, and that's where any, anything that's dementia is going to be degeneration. Um, 
You can also cross-react to the cerebellum. This is how you get what's called cerebellar atrophy and ataxia, where your balance starts to, to come off of there. In the case of, let's say, somebody who has um, celiac, it's it's what's called transglutaminase 6. In the case of gluten sensitivity, you can get what's called trans, I'm sorry, transglutaminase 2 as celiac. Transglutaminase 6 will be in the gluten sensitivity. It will cross-react to the brain. It will create an autoimmune reaction to the brain, which means you get white matter lesions. So this is how gluten sensitivity can look like Lou Gehrig's disease or muscular sclerosis, and you get diverse neurological presentations. So they, it's, they're like, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. So if you've ever been in a neuro, neural, um, a neurologist before, and, and you've had all these tests run and they have no earthly idea what's going on, you really should have your gluten tested. And then even if it's not, you still should really consider not doing anything at all that has to do with gluten. So you can also have what's called a gluten reactivity to what's called GAD. GAD um, antibodies can go to the basal ganglia, and if it goes to the basal ganglia, you get several things. You get obsessive compulsive disorder, movement disorders, anxiety, and basal ganglia is really where Parkinson's look like. So it can be Parkinsonian, but not Parkinson's. Or you can get cerebellar autoimmunity where you get dizziness, vertigo, and what's called dysautonomia where your blood pressure goes up, down, up, down, your heart rate goes up and down, it looks like POTS. Um, or it could be POTS, it can be because it, you get all these neurological conditions, but it's just postural orthostatic hypotension. It just goes up and down and up and down. And then, of course, you get poor balance. Anything that affects the cerebellum is poor balance. So there's a great impact overnight. So then the skinny on this, if even if you're not gluten sensitive, the, the gluten today is not the same. So it's not a fad. It's not going to go away. Again, we've talked about how our government deals with whoever is the best paid um, a congressperson, and if they don't follow the lead, they get booted. That's just the way it is, and we have to deal with it. So in, in order to offset that, I want to make sure that people are aware of what goes on, how it affects your body, how it affects your nervous system. And really, I'm trying to put half a million dollars in your in your pocketbook. So if you can stay alive and be healthy and you don't have to spend all this money on medical care or worse, we see people go into um, nursing homes late in life and they have to sign away their home. We've seen it in our like in, in my entire neighborhood did that, whether it's um, Alzheimer's or cancer or dementia. And we, we watched them sign away their entire life's work so that they could be, have somebody take care of them in a, in a nursing home. And they, they, they've lost everything. And they passed nothing to their children. And, and that's it's heartbreaking. And so this is why I bring this to your attention. So if you're gluten sensitive or if you're not, take a big chance and really go gluten-free and do it for you. Do it for your family. I wish you all the best. Uh, I know there's a lot of podcasts you can listen to, and if you chose to listen to ours, great. If you want to learn more, go to our website at choosenewleaf.com. I'm Dr. Alan Trites. Be well. This podcast, Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible, provides you information about evidence-based strategies for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, digestion, autoimmune disease, brain health issues, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode, nutrition, Dr. Trite's blog, and many other topics at choosenewleaf.com. There you'll have all the information, and thank you for listening to this podcast. The best thing to do is sign up for his newsletter, where he'll update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. You can find Dr. Trite's social media on Instagram and Facebook with the username New Leaf Health. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. 
it does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.